We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. Today we are in week two of our series entitled, A Call to Die. A call to die. And in this series, we're taking kind of an unfiltered look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, I think too often we hear this word disciple and we don't really know uh, what it means, what that word means. And so I want to try something this morning. I want to do a word association thing with you. So I'm going to say a word or a phrase and I want you to kind of think of what comes to mind when you hear this word or phrase. Okay, here's the first one. Gilmer Buckeye. What comes to mind? Okay, got some football. Here's what comes to my mind. Okay, I want to tell you what's going on in this picture right here. Do y'all know who Gilmer's playing in this picture? Dangerfield. Do y'all know where I'm from? Okay, here's, that's my mom. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, here's, this picture was from about eight years ago when, once again, Gilmer was putting an absolute thumping on my Dangerfield Tigers. And so when I, think of, when I think of Gilmer Buckeye growing up, all I remember is we often lost to the, Gil, lost to the Gilmer Buckeye. So this is what comes to mind uh, for me. Let me give you another one. Great movie. What comes to mind when I say great movie? Here's what comes to a lot of people's mind. The Godfather, right? Anybody? That's a classic, okay? Now, at my house, where we grew up, here was the standard of great movie. Are you ready? That right there, okay? Anybody? Right? Any, was there anyone convinced you were going to wrangle horses for a living because you saw that movie? I was. I was like, that's what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to live in the mountains, and I'm going to do that thing. Uh, the man from Snowy River, right? All right, let me ask you this question. What comes to mind when I say musical genius? Now, we talked about Eric Clapton last week. It's off the table. We know he's one. So for most of the kids growing up my age, particularly most of the ladies, here's who came to mind about musical genius. Come on now. Come on now. Listen, is there anybody who just confessed that this was their jam back in the day? All right, we got some brave souls. That was my jam. Back, I know, I know it was Carrie's jam. All right, how about this? If I were to say NASCAR fan, what comes to mind? <laughs> All right, here's what comes to my mind. Come on, what is this? What? What? Listen here. That dude needs a best friend who will just say, no, nah, you ain't leaving the house like that. No, you're not. No. You're not doing this. Not okay. That's not okay. All right, one more, one more phrase. First day of school. What comes to mind? <laughs> here's here's probably what comes to mind right here. Is that? Is that 
Oh, man, is that just, that's what comes to mind, you know? I promise you, some of you had that experience within the last seven to, uh, seven to ten days. So let me ask you then, what comes to mind uh, when I say the word Christian? You know, if you ask ten different people, especially if you ask people outside the body of faith, just out in the world, you're going to get ten different answers. But I want you to know the first believers, they did not call themselves Christians, that was actually a derogatory term. It wasn't a compliment back uh, with the first believers. The first believers, we find out what they called themselves in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. They called themselves disciples. That's what they called themselves. Now, that word wasn't new to them. That was a word that historically had described the relationship kind of between a teacher and a learner. But the use of of this word by the early believers was for them a declaration of their relationship and their commitment to Jesus. You know, in our church culture, in East Texas, in the, in the Bible Belt, the word Christian often just simply applies to somebody who goes to church. Well, I'm a Christian because I go to church. Or I'm a Christian because I was raised in church. Or my parents went to church. Or I got married in a church, or I'll be at church next Easter. That, that's going to get me in. That makes me a Christian. But there's a reason for this series that we are focusing in on the word disciple, because that paints a clearer picture of what it means and what happens to us when we believe and follow Jesus. All right, so I want you to grab your Bible and go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bible, great. On your device, great. I'm gonna, we're going to have the scriptures on the screen as well. We're going to begin in verse 18. And uh, here's, here's where we are in the, the flow of the narrative. Uh, earlier in chapter 4, Jesus had been tempted uh, by the devil. He has come out of that temptation. He has moved to Galilee. He is beginning his public ministry Verse 17 tells us that from that time he began to preach that the king repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 18, we see this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking this morning that, uh, God, as I do every week, that you would illuminate your word to us. I'm asking God that, you would protect the ears of your bride from any stray word of mine and that you would just magnify your truth today. God, that you would just reveal your truth as, as we discover what it means to be called as a disciple of Jesus. Would you do that now, Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Matthew chapter 4, kind of verse 18, we see Jesus calling his first disciple. We see this first invitation that Jesus gives to come and follow. Now remember, he's just come out of the desert where he was tempted by the devil. He, he withstands that temptation. He rebukes the devil and is now beginning his 
public ministry. Luke tells us in his account that when he came out of the desert, that he came out in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus is now having won this victory over the enemy, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to do two things right at the front end of his ministry. He preaches the gospel and he makes disciples. He preaches the gospel and he makes disciples. Right out of the gate, he is starting this new way of thinking and building and declaring the kingdom of God. And he's taking the first steps in changing the world and he's laying this foundation. And the first two bricks he uses are preaching the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and making disciples. Come and follow me. It's the first two things he does. This is the highest priority for Jesus. And listen, this priority doesn't change. It doesn't change. It bookends, this, this idea of making disciples bookends the ministry of Jesus. If you go to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, we reference this verse uh, all the time here at New Beginnings. Here's what you see. These, Jesus is... Um, been resurrected. He is with his followers. And in some of the last words Jesus would ever speak to his followers, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I take time to do that? Because I want it to land on us this morning that making disciples was the first thing he did and the last thing he commanded. It mattered to Jesus. It mattered to Jesus. And church, I believe with all my heart that these priorities of Jesus are the top priorities for our church as well. It is the vision God has given our lead pastor. It is why we gather and worship. It is why we go through, uh, grow through community. It is why we give to the kingdom. It is why we go on mission on our campus in the city and around the world. Our vision at New Beginnings is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, how do you transform a city? How do you impact the world? You preach the gospel and you make disciples. That's how we do it. And, and as we do this, as we make disciples, we are declaring our love for Jesus and our love for his kingdom. So, if Jesus has demonstrated this priority of being a disciple and making disciples, the questions I want us to wrestle with today are, what is the call to discipleship? What is it? And what happens in me and through me when I obey the call? What is the call and what happens in me when I obey the call? As we navigate through Matthew 4 here, there's four observations I want us to make. Here's the first one. This call that we have from Jesus is a call initiated by Jesus. It's a call initiated by Jesus. He does it. It's Jesus that says to these men, follow me. He extends the invitation. Now, I think in order for us to to gain a right understanding and appreciation for what is going on here when Jesus initiates the call to these first disciples. I think we need some historical context of the relationship between a rabbi and the disciple. So every Hebrew boy growing up, when he hit the age five, he would go to Torah school. 
every Hebrew boy. And in Torah school, they would study the first five books of the Bible. And, and, and out of that, around the age of 10 or 11, um, there began this weeding out process. Here's what I mean by that. If you had displayed a, a high aptitude, if you had kind of risen to the top and, and, and you were kind of the best of the best, then you were allowed to stay and you would continue to study the rest of the Old Testament. If you didn't display that aptitude, then you would actually be dismissed and you would go home, which is what most boys did, and begin to learn the trade of your father and do the business of your family. But every boy went to Torah school at the age of five because it was the first step in becoming a rabbi. And that was the highest dream any parent could dream. No kid wanted to be a professional athlete or a movie star. They wanted to be rabbis. These were the leaders of the community. These were men of importance and of weight and of leadership. And the first step was Torah school. And if you displayed that aptitude, you were able to stay. You would study the rest of the Old Testament. And at age 17, you would take another step. If you had continued to uh, kind of be the best of the best, and you were considered ready for rabbinical, uh, rabbinical training, the next thing you would do is you would find a rabbi that you admired, and you would go and ask to be his disciple. The Hebrew word for disciple is Talmud, T-A-L-M-I-D. You would go and ask to be his Talmud, and here's how you would do that. You would go to this rabbi who you admired, and you would sit at his feet, and that was your way of saying I want to follow your teaching. I admire the way you lead. I want to learn from you. And the rabbis then would begin to put you through a series of question and testing to see if you were worthy to follow. And listen, the rabbis could be picky. They could be picky. They, they, they wanted to choose the smartest, the most talented boys to be their disciples, to be their Talmud. They wanted those with the highest aptitude who had outperformed all the others. Why? Because when they chose a disciple, they were choosing someone who would be just like them. Not just know what they know, but do what they did. So why take time to unpack that? Because when Jesus comes in, he flips that entire dynamic upside down. He flips that entire thing upside down. These disciples that Jesus calls, these were not guys who, because of some achievement or aptitude, were able to approach Jesus and present themselves as disciples. You know, Peter and John and these guys, they didn't, and Andrew, they didn't come to Jesus and go, all right, Jesus, I see you're trying to get something going here. Uh, listen, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to bring my talents to your ministry. You know, it wasn't like that. They, 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 they had nothing to offer Remember where they were when Jesus found them. Where were they? They were on the boat. What does that mean? It means they didn't cut it in the process of becoming a rabbi. They didn't cut it. They were weeded out. They were sent home to begin to do the family business. Why is this glorious news for us? Here it is. It means that our calling... Us being called as disciples isn't based on any talent that we have. It's based on our willingness to say yes. J.D. Greer said this. He said, Jesus chose the best. Or, or he didn't choose the best. 
He chose the willing. Jesus didn't choose the best. He chose the willing. Jesus reminded his disciples that he called them. They didn't call themselves. He reminded them in John 15, chapter 16, when he said this. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember, he's starting a ministry. He's building a kingdom. He's getting ready to change the world. And who did he pick to do that? He picked from a team that I was very familiar with growing up, and that is the JVB team. That's who he picked from. I know all about that team. <laughs> all right? He didn't get the varsity players. He didn't get the best of the best. He picked from the JVB team, the guys who had been rejected, who didn't make the cut in their training. What does that mean for us? It means that our calling to be disciples of Jesus Christ does not hinge in any way on what we bring to the table. It is not based on talent or gifting. It is, it is, a, it is based on grace. It is a gracious invitation. It's based on grace and his strength and our willingness. This call to discipleship is a call initiated by Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to know. <clears throat> it is a call into relationship with Jesus. It is a call into relationship with him. What do I mean? When you look at these uh, uh, fishermen and he says, follow me, he is inviting them into a relationship with him. No Talmud, no disciple could learn from his rabbi without being in relationship with him. And this rabbi-disciple relationship was intense. It was intense. It was years of coaching, years of training, years of, of admonishing and correcting and celebrating. It was years of the disciple following the rabbi everywhere, notating everything he did and emulating him in every way. It was, it was a years-long investment. You know, one of the highest uh, compliments that you could give to any Talmud or any disciple was this, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. It's one of the highest comments you could have paid a disciple. What does that mean? It means that you are so closely walking with your rabbi that when his steps stir up dust, it gets all over you. It's a high compliment. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. It means you looked like him, you moved like him, you acted like him, you thought like him. It meant that someone could look at the disciple and get a clear picture of the rabbi. So let me ask you, can people look at you and get a clear picture of your rabbi? Does your life demonstrate that you are covered in the dust of your rabbi? That's what this call is. It is a call into relationship with him. So, how do we get into this relationship, and what does that mean? So I want to ask you guys a question. It's for the ladies in the room. Ladies, how well do you think, guys, don't kill me, how well do you think your man, your husband, really knows you? Carrie, you're not allowed to participate. How, <laughs> how well do you think your husband really knows you? Here's what I mean. Does he know all the important dates, right? 
birthday, anniversary. Do you know all those? Did you know your favorite things? Right? Listen, guys, y'all, ladies, don't look at him and make it awkward, okay? But guys are looking at me. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm apologizing now. The reason I ask that question is because it would be very difficult for me to declare that I have a thriving, growing relationship with my wife and not to know anything about her, not to be growing in my understanding of her. It would be hard to declare that in one hand and on the other hand have no knowledge of who she really is. So the question we have as disciples with Jesus having initiated this call and brought us into relationship, the question we have as disciples is this, how do we know Jesus? Second Peter, this, this disciple that's being called right here in Matthew 4, later in his life would write his epistle to the church. And in Second Peter, he would say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do disciples grow in knowing Jesus? How do we live with the dust of our rabbi all over us? I think you, the only way we know Jesus is we have to know him in his word. We have to know him in his word. This book right here, church, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, is about one person. It is about our rabbi. That's it. He's the superstar of this book. Every page is about him. So how am I going to know him? How am I going to know him in such a way that I display him in everything I do? i got to know him in his word. So I think there are three attitudes that the disciples of Christ need to have toward God's word concerning his word. Three things, and that is this. Here's the first thing. Disciples delight in God's word. Disciples delight in God's word. Psalm 119, uh, verse 11, and then verse 16 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. So I've treasured it. I've recognized its value that I might not sin against you. And it says, I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your, your word. That word delight means to rejoice in, to be satisfied in, to find gladness in. Disciples of Jesus Christ delight in the word of God. We find gladness there and joy there and satisfaction there. It is a high value for us. Second thing I think disciples do is disciples meditate on God's word. They delight in it and they meditate on it. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, there's that word again, is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates both day and night. That word meditates implies a, a focus, a, a giving time to, a laboring in, a digging in and discovering and, and mining out the treasures of. We delight in it and we meditate on it. Now listen, is it okay that we read books about God's Word? Yes, that we read books about what it means to live a godly life. Yes, is it okay to listen to sermons? Of course, and listen to podcasts. You better know it. Is it okay to share and talk to other believers and try to grow? Yes, but nothing takes the place of this. 
There is no book written by man that usurps the authority of God's word. We delight in it and we meditate on it. Here's the last thing. Disciples submit to God's word. We submit to God's word. James chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 say, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. The word there implicates humility and submission. The implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word not hearers only we delight in it we meditate on it and then we submit to it that is why every week you will hear us say something like grab your bible and go with me it is why we value gospel community it is one of our core values here at new beginnings being in a life group where you can open God's Word together and learn together and grow together. This call to discipleship is a call initiated by Jesus. It is a call into relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is nourished. It is given life, it is given understanding and weight and motivation through knowing Him in His Word. Here's the third thing I want you to see today about this call to be a disciple. It is a call to abandon everything for Jesus. It's a call to abandon everything for Jesus. I said at the beginning, uh, there were two questions I wanted us to wrestle with. One, what is the call to discipleship? And we've said it is a call initiated by Jesus and it is a call into relationship with him. That's what it is. Now I want us to look at that second question, which was, what happens to me? What happens in me and through me when I obey this call? Look again at Matthew chapter 4. Verse 19, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other sons, two other brothers, excuse me, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. These men immediately left everything in order to follow Jesus. It says they left their boat and they left their nets and their father to follow him. Now, why do you think God's word points out those two things, the boats and the net and the father? It could have just said, Jesus called to come and they got up and followed. But God's word takes the time to point out that immediately they left the nets and the boat and immediately they left their father. Because those are the two things that will so often keep us from following Jesus, and that is our security in relationships. They will so often keep us from following after Jesus. Listen, their security was bound up in those boats and in those nets. It's how they made their living. It was what they knew. It's what they had been doing all their life from the moment at 10 or 11 when they left Torah school and started learning how to do it from their father. That was their security. And that relationship with their father, that was a meaningful relationship. So how did they do that? Sometimes I read these verses and I just go, how did they do that? I think these men recognized a value in following Jesus that outweighed anything else in their life. They saw a value. They were willing to walk away from that which was most 
precious to them in order to obey the call to discipleship. And listen, that is what Jesus commands, to value him above everything else. That's hard. That is hard. This call is a call to abandon everything for Jesus. You know, when Carrie and I <clears throat> graduated from seminary, um, we kind of were in that place where we were seeking where the Lord was going to move us and use us and, and um, kind of begin this ministry that we have been training for and being educated for and all that. And uh, we got connected with the church in Greenville, Mississippi. Anybody know where Greenville, Mississippi is? All right, one, Robert knows. Oh, here, one more. Okay, there's a few of you. All right, that's about, that's about right, by the way. <laughs> and so um, we went, I, I went to Greenville, Mississippi, and, and um, you know, I go into the church, and I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments happen to you where you walked into something and you heard the voice of the Lord speak to your spirit. And I walked into their worship center, I'll never forget it, and I knew immediately we were going to come to this church. I knew it. I just knew. I called Carrie and told her. Here's the problem with knowing that. Um, there was a lady in Cason, Texas named Peggy Darby who's sitting here just to my left, and she had put a pin on Cason, Texas and then drew a circle about an hour, you know, about an hour circle and went, this is actually where God's calling you. She's calling you right in here somewhere, and I don't know what that is. And we ended up moving five hours outside of that circle, and it was hard. We had a four-year-old baby girl. We had these infant boys, and it, we didn't know anybody in Greenville, Mississippi. We're not a soul. No, we left knowing and loving many people, but we, we didn't know anyone there. And there was a cost involved. It was hard. It was hard on the family here. It was hard on us there. But I'm reminded of these lyrics we just sang a few moments ago, that if this life brings suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has done for me, both now and forever. What am I saying? I'm saying that because Jesus has invited me in, whatever he calls me to do, I will do and I will abandon whatever I have to in order to obey. Now, some of you, you're not going to be called to leave your job or your family and go do that. Matter of fact, for most of us, here's the truth. God has given us those jobs and given us that family in order that we would make disciples in that. He has given us that place, those circles of influence, where he would use us in that place to make disciples. But for some of you, it may mean you move away for the sake of saying yes to the mission God's calling you to. For some of you, it may mean you change jobs. For some of you, it may mean you get passed over for the promotion. Because you wouldn't lower the standard of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. For some of you students, it may mean you're ostracized at school, you're left out, you're looked over. Because you won't lower the standard of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Pastor Todd said this, we must pursue everything he calls us to and abandon everything he calls us from. Man, this call that Jesus initiates, this call into relationship is a call to abandon everything for his sake, which is to say it is a call to value him above 
all else to give him the seat of honor in my life. Because when I value him above all else, does it mean that these other things don't matter? No, it just means now they can find their rightful place. Now they can reach their highest God-given potential. One of the greatest gifts when we made that move was every day I knew my mother was praying for me. She was before the throne of God praying. You know what that is? That's her being willing to say yes because it was just as hard on her. And as a family, we were doing this thing together. It's being willing to say, Lord, whatever you're going to do, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. What's the cost? I'll pay it. I'll abandon everything because I want to say yes to this. It is a call initiated by Jesus. It is a call into relationship with Jesus. It is a call to abandon everything for Jesus. Here's the last thing. It's a call to make disciples of Jesus. To make disciples of Jesus. Look again at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 4. It says, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call of a disciple is to make disciples. And this is not something just a few of us do. This is the call of every believer. Jesus was a fisher of men. That means his disciples will be fishers of men. This is not an option that we can choose or ignore. It's just, discipleship is not a buffet line where we take what we like and leave the rest. And I know buffets. I'm a fan. Okay? I know how to do it like a champion follow me and I will show you the way. It isn't like that. There is no, I'll take this blessing, but I don't want that call. That looks heavy. I'll take this, this deliverance. I'll, I, I love that, that security I have of being with him forever in heaven, but I don't know about all this abandoning everything. I don't know about all this being willing to lean into the awkward of making disciples but it is, it is not an option that we can choose to ignore. We are called to make disciples. John 15, we referenced this verse just a few minutes ago. John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Why? And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Jesus explicitly points out why he chose us and appointed us as disciples to go and bear fruit, to go and make disciples, which means we share the good news to to those who need to hear it. We pour our lives into others to see them become disciples of Christ. And too often, I think we, we, we believe this is for a few people in the kingdom. And we believe the lie that says, I don't have whatever talent of whoever or whatever gifting of this, so I'm not called to do that. And I'm telling you, this is the call of every believer to go and bear fruit. That's the race we run. That is the race we run. So some of you, you have this amazing ability to see the need in others and to meet it. You know what that is? That's bearing fruit. 
Some of you, God has given the unbelievable gift of hospitality. You just know how to welcome people and love them well. And whether it's their worst moment or their best moment, when they get connected to you, they just are fine healing. You know what that is? That's bearing fruit. Some of you have the gift of teaching and you lead life group. You know what that is? That's making disciples and bearing fruit. Some of you every week go back into that wing and you bless our little ones by teaching them God's word. You know what that is? That's making disciples and bearing fruit. This is what we are called to do. Which means this, a non-fruit-bearing disciple is is actually an oxymoron. It's, It's not a real thing. If you are not bearing fruit as a disciple, you are either not a disciple or you're not a faithful disciple. Because disciples bear fruit. They invest their lives in others. They are giving themselves away. They are going and making. They are following that great commission, that race we've been given for Matthew 28. Again, we looked at it a moment ago. To go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus is teaching that his Talmud, his disciples, they go and make other Talmud. That we go and teach everything that we know about Jesus that we've learned from Jesus. And believer, there is no worthwhile excuse that releases us from this call. There isn't one. I hear all the time, I'm too busy to serve. It's just not the season for our family. We just got a lot going on. I can't do it. If you have built a life that has no room for giving yourself away in service to the kingdom. It isn't an issue of business. It is an issue of misplaced priorities. It means that you have allowed other things to come in front of this call. It means you have allowed other things to distract you from the race. The race we run is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. So if that's true, if that's the race we run, then the question becomes... Or at least for me, the question that kind of ignites in my heart is how do I run the race well? How do I run the race well? God's word has the answer. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me very quickly. (coughs) Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 12. Looking at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us... Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Some of your translations will say, which so easily entangles us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. These first disciples left everything, their nets, their boats, their experience, their security. They left the known. They left their family. They were compelled to throw off whatever would hinder them from following Jesus. And when we look at Hebrews 12 right here, there are a couple of things that, that are mentioned that I think we need to take hold of as it, as it relates to running the race. It says to lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us. Not just sins. 
Yes, we lay aside our sins. Yes, we should be confessing up those things that do not please the Lord and asking for forgiveness and by God's grace and through the process of sanctification, be ridding them out of our life. Yes, we lay aside sin, but he doesn't just say lay aside sin. He says, lay aside every other hindrance, every weight, every encumbrance that gets in your way. What is this teaching? It's teaching that we don't just ask the question, what's wrong with me doing this? Why isn't this okay for me to do? Is this a sin? Asking, is this a sin or what's wrong with me doing this? It's like, that's the lowest question a disciple can ask. The right question is this, does it help me run the race? That's the question we ask. Does it help me run the race? So right now, I am asking you, I want you to think of relationships in your life that are not helping you run the race. They are a weight. They are entangling you. They are causing your vision to be pulled away from Jesus and the commission he's given you to make disciples. Hebrews 12 says that we have to throw that off. I want you to think right now of that secret sin that you are hiding and you've never confessed and it's been a struggle and, and, and nobody knows and it is perpetually robbing you of the joy in your life. We throw that off so we can run the race. So what's the question? Is it nourishing me as a disciple to run better? Is it giving me energy and strength and focus and endurance to go and make disciples? If it's not, God's word says, throw it off. Throw it off and run the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this call to come and run the race? This call to go and make disciples that Jesus initiated when he invited us into relationship. This call to abandon everything. I think you have to ask yourself this morning because it is what I'm asking myself and that is this. Am I running the race? Am I running the race If you are not, then the question becomes, what are the sins or the weights that are entangling me that are keeping me from running the race? And in just a moment, you can come, you can get on your knees before this altar, you can sit right where you are, and you can lay those down before the Lord. Is the dust of your rabbi all over you? Are you walking with Jesus in such a way that his dust is all over you? And people could look at you and get a clear picture of him. That's what it means to run the race. That's what this call to discipleship is. It is a call to have the dust of the rabbi all over us. So we're going to pray and then we're going to worship. And um, if you need to come this morning and, and take one of us by the hand and just confess, you know what, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. I have never given my heart to him, and I want to do that today. I want to start running this race. I want to learn what it means to be a disciple. You come and take us by the hand, and we will help you do that. If your confession would just be, I have allowed other hindrances, other weights, other relationships, other priorities, other things to get in my way, and they are hindering me from running after 
the Great Commission, then you can lay those down. Confess that and lay it down. I'm praying that God has moved in your heart this morning the way he has moved in my heart this week. So let's pray, then we'll respond and we'll worship. Jesus, we love you. And uh, Father, our confession is, um, Lord, that we need you. We need you, God. We need you to remind us of those things that are distracting us and pulling us away. We need you to magnify those things that are nourishing our journey and, and causing us to run the race well. Father, we need you. And so right now in this moment, as we worship and as we respond, God, I am praying that your Holy Spirit would move in power, that we would have the courage to step out, God, that we would have the courage to come and pray and kneel or take one of us by the hand. God, that we would just uh, hear your voice and obey. Would you move among your people now? I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship. Let's respond. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.